So for those of you who are keeping up with the words to look for, and I know at least one person is, it's devotion and worship. Devotion and worship. Those are your words. Those are the words for the day, devotion and worship. Because we're going to talk about the devotion of worship. Did you know that man was created for worship? We're still talking about worship. Man was created for worship. And that means that man inherently is inclined to worship. And men worship and they don't even realize they're worshiping. Man is inherently inclined to worship. He may not be conscious of that, but instinctively, man is a worshiper. The object of our worship is to be the one who created us. The object of our worship is the creator, the creator of all things. And to worship anything or anyone other than God is what the Bible calls idolatry. It's sin. Our text today is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 through 15. And I just, I just quoted that because that's exactly what Jesus is quoting when he responds to Satan who offers him the kingdoms of this world and all of their glory. And when Jesus says... Get behind me, Satan. You shall worship no one except the Lord your God. He's actually quoting here from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. God says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, For the Lord your God is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. Or, as Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. This is the reference Jesus is making when he responds to Satan with the word of God. This is the word of God. Of the Lord. And here in Deuteronomy, God is instructing the children of Israel, which means He's instructing us. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him, and shall take oaths in His name, and you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Why? Verse 15 For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. God does not want our worship to be directed toward anything or anyone else. Do you know that the enemy, do you know that Satan does not care whether you are consciously, actively worshiping something else? If you are devoted, we're talking about what? Devotion, the devotion of worship. If you are devoted to any other thing, more than you are devoted to God, you are worshiping that thing. And whether you consciously do it as an act of worship, whether you consciously say, I'm going to go now worship you know, money, or I'm going to go worship my job, or I'm going to go worship my sports team, or I'm going to go worship my favorite band, or I'm going to worship this food, 
or I'm going to worship my favorite thing to do. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether you think of it as worship or not. If whatever you're devoted to more than you are devoted to God, you worship that thing. And the enemy is absolutely happy that you don't consciously think about that because it doesn't really matter whether you are actively, consciously devoting yourself to that thing above God. Most people don't do that. Most people would say, oh, no, I love God more than I love anything. But the practice of our life informs as to whether that is true or not. Devotion is defined as religious fervor or piety or duty toward Religious fervor. In our culture today, we don't like the word religion. We think it's a bad word. People say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. As if being spiritual doesn't mean you're religious, or being religious is bad. The Bible actually defines what religion is and that we should be religious. The Bible says true religion is to to love one another. It's to take care of widows and orphans. It's basically to do what Jesus said. It's to love one another even as he has loved us. That's what James defines as true religion. So it's not that we shouldn't be religious. We need to be religious rightly in the right way. We need to be loving and devoted to those things that are right or to the one who is right. A good question to ask ourselves would be, what are we devoting our life to? So ask yourself that question. What, what am I devoting my life to? There is certainly a cost associated with devotion. Devotion, at the very least, will cost us our time, right? It costs you your time to be here today. You could be doing anything else, but you chose to take your time and, and be here. Whatever you devote your life to, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you at least time. Without devoting time to something, we can't be very devoted to it, can we? We can't. What are we devoting our life to? Or we could say, who or what are we serving? Remember that famous prophet by the name of Bob Dylan who said, everybody has got to serve somebody. And no truer words were ever spoken. Everybody serves somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. The question may cause us to think that there is an ultimatum forcing us to choose between worship and everything else. And that's not how we should consider this question. I don't remember exactly when it was, but a few days ago, Spencer sent me this text message with, with a, it was a message of encouragement, and I don't know where he got it. Maybe, he, maybe he, it was his thought, I don't know. But it puts this question of what are we devoting our life to? It puts this question of devotion in its proper context. And I'm going to quote to you exactly what Spencer sent to me. Now, if my body is a living sacrifice, and by the way, it is. This is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. Now, brothers, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. 
Notice the word, the word I want you to notice there is living, not dead. Most sacrifices that were ever offered up in the Old Testament, they were dead sacrifices. But they represented what? They represented living sacrifices. Living people offered animals that became dead. It was a sacrifice offered to God. But the point of that sacrifice, the point of offering that animal that would become dead on that altar was that we are living sacrifices offering our lives to God. And this is what Paul writes. Now, if, and this is what Spencer wrote to me. Now, if my body is a living sacrifice, this means that everything it rests upon is an altar. The car I drive is an altar. Think about it. The bed I sleep on or the bed I sleep in is an altar. And the desk where I work is an altar. Everything is offered to God. Everything ascends to him as a sweet-smelling savor. Faith is the fire of the altar, and it consumes the whole burnt offering, the ascension offering. That's what a burnt offering is. What ascends to the Lord is the sweet savor of our good works. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10 Bearing fruit in every good work is fully pleasing to him. That works, the works that ascend before him are the works that he prepared beforehand for us to do. He gives us the works that are intended to return to him. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's from Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. But this thought, now if my body is a living sacrifice, that means everything it rests upon is an altar. The car you drove this morning to church was the altar you, the living sacrifice, was resting upon for you to come to this place and offer up your living worship to God. The bed you slept on last night was the altar you, living sacrifice, was laid upon, and even in your rest and your sleep that you are not conscious of, you were worshiping your God. You were offered up to God as that living sacrifice. The desk you work at is the altar. You are the living sacrifice being offered up through that altar. It makes us begin to understand worship a little bit differently than we might commonly think about it. We could put it another way. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what living sacrifices do. What are you devoting your life to? Hopefully God, right? Everything we do in that sense is worship. Everything we do, wherever we do it, is offered up to God as we live our lives as living sacrifices. And that living sacrifice is a picture of living worship. Worship is what you live. Worship is, is how you live. It's what you live. It's what you do. It's, it's every aspect of your life. Because we are living sacrifices. 
We are to devote our life to God in all we do. Yes, literally, in all that we do, we are to devote our life to God. We are to do all things to the glory of God. That means that in all we do, we do as unto the Lord, and we do as a living act of worship, as living sacrifices. We ask our students at KCCS, Koinonia Classical Christian School, are you students ready? Because I'm, I'm getting ready to ask you a question. And since you don't have one of these microphones on, you're going to have to answer really loud so everyone can hear. I mean, I want it to be heard on the recording, okay? Are you ready? What are you going to build? Did you get it? What are you going to build with that gift? What are you going to build with that gift? Well, that's a good question too, church. What are you going to build with that gift? Or put another way, what are you devoting your life to? God has given all of us gifts, not just spiritual gifts, but natural gifts and talents. Some of you can run fast and jump high. Some can do science and technology. Some of you can ride and express yourself through various means. Mothers, you've been given gifts unique and special and vital to us all and to all humanity, even if the world doesn't value you the way it should. Know that God does. Fathers, the same. Whether you are a mother, a father, a butcher, a baker, or a circuit board maker, you have been given gifts for devotion to God. Whether you work with your hands or your feet, with a Dewalt or an apple, or both, at a kitchen sink, a changing table, a table saw, or a desk, God has given gifts through which we offer worship and devotion to Him because we are living sacrifices. Your gift is from God. Your devotion is not to your gift. Hear me. Your gift is from God, but your devotion is not to your gift. Your devotion is to the one who gave you the gift. Are you to use your gift? Yes. Are you to hone your gift? Yes. But your devotion is to God. Use your gift to glorify God, but never make your gift the object of your worship. In the day that you begin to devote more of yourself to your gift than you are to God, guess what your gift has become? Your gift has become your God because your gift has become your object of worship. And that is idolatry and that is sin. So there is this false dichotomy that the world wants us to think is real that I have to choose between God and my gift, or my job, or my family, or whatever else you want to put in that blank. And that's not what the Bible presents to us. The Bible says God has given us gifts. God has put us in this world to live our lives as living sacrifices. And he's given us those gifts so that we can use them to his glory. And the very fact that I use them, the very fact that I work with them, the very fact that they may be the very means that God uses to provide for me and my family. However, whatever that is, 
God has given you those gifts to use for you to be a living sacrifice and offer living worship to him by using those gifts and devoting yourself to him and thanking him for those gifts and then taking those gifts and using them to his glory. People very often ask me or tell me, I hear this so frequently, I was in a meeting with some people the other day. We were actually doing a Bible study, and somebody said, I just, I'm just trying to figure out what my purpose is. It's like, you know, I'm living life now. I've been living life for, you know, 30, 40 years, and I'm still waiting to find out what my purpose is. This is the way the world wants us to think. We're always searching for our purpose. Think about, I'm not asking you to answer me, but think about the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. You found your purpose when you opened your eyes. You found your purpose when you swung your body off that flat position on the bed and put your feet on the ground. You know what your purpose was? Get your feet on the ground. Your next purpose is stand up. Then maybe it's go in the bathroom and brush your teeth, take a shower, put your clothes on. You see what I'm saying? Purpose is this mystical thing that's out there that we're all searching for when God says just do what's right before you. Your purpose might, right now might be I need to go brush my teeth. Your purpose right now might be, you know what, I need to go eat lunch. Your purpose right now might be, you know what, I need to go pray. I need to go read my Bible. I need to study. Your purpose might be, I need to make sure I'm on time for work today. Do you see what I'm saying, church? Purpose isn't some magical thing out there we're all searching for. Purpose is before us every moment of every day. And most often, the way we find our purpose is just by doing what's before us every day to do the things that we take for granted, the things that are habits, the things that we don't even think about doing. Do you know that I can't tell you how many times I've left this church and drove away only to come back because I couldn't remember whether I locked the door or not. You know why I don't remember whether I locked the door or not? Because locking the door has become such a habit to me. Walking out those doors, locking them, getting into my car and driving away has become so common to me that I do it without even thinking. I don't even, I have to stop literally in the middle of the road. Did I lock the door at the church? I can't remember. I'm sure I did, but what if I didn't and somebody went in and stole these beautiful instruments? Or So I come back. You know, I have not yet come back once and found the door unlocked. That door. There have been other doors left unlocked <laughs> with workers here, but not that door. Because it's so commonplace, I don't have to think about it. Purpose is not some magical thing. Purpose is just living your life every day, every moment of every day, one step at a time. Doing the most mundane and commonplace things in your life that you can't even remember whether you've done them or not. That's also our worship. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Lock the door to the glory of God. Brush your teeth to the glory of God. Whatever it is, 
do it to the glory of God. This is what it means to devote your life to God in all that you do. And our worship is devotion reserved only for God, the giver of our gifts. To do otherwise is a sin so grave that God says it will result in our destruction. Worship is our response to God that transcends context. So people say, well, you know, I'll worship God in the right context. Or we could say it like this, you know, this is not the place to worship God. Really? There's certain places you worship God and there's other places you don't worship God. So you're telling me there's some place, there's some context in which God is not worthy of our worship? Well, of course, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, this isn't where we worship God. Tell me where we do not worship God. There isn't a place that exists that God is not to be worshipped. So that begs the question, then what does our worship look like? If we can worship in any context, or we say our worship transcends context... What happens when I'm sitting at my desk Monday morning in the office? What does worship look like? You know what it might look like? It might look like doing the best work you can possibly do. What does worship look like when I'm at the saw cutting a board? Well, it, it looks like cutting the board with the most precision that you can cut it with. What does worship look like when I'm taking care of my kids? It looks like you loving your children, caring for your children with the most love and care and concern that you can muster to the glory of God. That's what worship looks like. What does worship look like in this context? Because this is certainly a context of worship. It looks like you coming here and singing as loudly as you can, as passionately as you can. It, it's you offering yourself to God, whether it's through your singing or through your praying. When we say the creed, do you know why we say the creed? Because we want the body of Christ in unison to declare the truth to the heavenlies. That's worship. And we say the creed loudly and passionately. And we are not just declaring some dead creedal statement that was written, what? Probably about 1,400 years ago, or maybe longer. We're declaring truth to the heavenlies. Heaven hears when we declare who Jesus Christ is. Heaven hears when Christians declare what they believe. It may not mean anything to you, but it should, because it means something to heaven. Because heaven is listening. And when we say that creed, we are declaring to the enemy, we are reminding him that he is defeated. We are reminding him that we do not belong to him, but we belong to Jesus. We are reminding him that try as he might, he cannot have us because Jesus has already taken possession of us and bought us and purchased us with his blood. And we are declaring to the heavenlies, to every fallen 
angel, to every demon, to every glorious being that is worshiping around the throne now. We are declaring to heaven that we are the people of God. We are the redeemed and we will say so. And heaven hears and heaven pays attention. And if heaven hears and heaven pays attention, we certainly should. And we should never believe that our declarations of a creed or our declarations of a prayer is somehow just some dead religious exercise because it is not. It is the declaration of truth and life. It is warfare in heavenly places declaring to our enemies that they have already been defeated by Jesus. Worship is our response to God that transcends context. Worship can't be defined only in one context, like inside this room in this building on Sunday morning. Worship must transcend and transpire in every context of our life at all times. Our response to God is either in spirit and truth or it is not. Worship is moment by moment, day by day, weekly and eternal. That means our worship is in the small things and the great things. It means our worship is personal, it's private, it's individual, while at the very same time, it is public, open, and corporate. When we go to the picture of worship in heaven and we see multitudes worshiping the Lamb, there is no way for us to hear and now comprehend what that is like. There is no way for us to know or for us to capture the glory and the splendor and the unspeakable joy that will be ours as we worship before the throne in that context one day. But guess what? We worship before the throne right now, right here on earth. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Now in the midst of this world, with all of the trial and tribulation and cares, it can seem more than far away and unimaginable worshiping around that throne one day, if not completely unattainable. And some would say that it's too good to be true, but it's not. It's just true. It is too good, better, more good than we can imagine, but it's true. And that picture may seem unattainable for some. It may be completely unappealing to others. Standing before a throne in the midst of a huge crowd, worshiping. Yet worshipers of all types do it all the time. You know what we call it? We call it entertainment. Now think about this. In a couple of months, probably less than a couple of months, massive crowds of people are going to travel to Austin, Texas for what's called South by Southwest. Think about this. People will navigate annoying and time-consuming traffic jams, pressing crowds of people, long lines, short shows, high cost, and all other manner of inconveniences. And they will sacrifice sleep, and they will take time and make the effort. And they will do this to see their favorite band or that hot new act that everyone's blogging about. They will do it because it's hip, it's cool, it's fun, it's exciting to them. 
It's worth the cost. They do it because they are devoted. If to nothing or no one else, they are devoted to themselves and their own pleasure and entertainment. Obviously, people are not going to concerts or other entertainment venues to worship. But if that's not a picture of worship, I don't know what is. Think about it. My point is that people will endure much and pay the cost for the things that that are appealing to them and the things which they are devoted. For the follower of Jesus Christ, there should be nothing more appealing, nothing more to devote ourselves to than our worship of Him. We have world-changing events taking place, yet there are people that could care less about those. All they want to know is who won the Grammy Award for you fill in the blank. And all they're going to do is talk about what he wore, what she wore, what he said, what she said. And if we've not made entertainment a God that we worship, you better know that we have. Worship, worship of the true and living God, worship in spirit and in truth produces transformation. The worship of Jesus Christ has resulted in the transformation of our world. It has done that because it has produced transformation in the hearts and the minds of those who worship Him. If we look at a picture presented to us in the book of Revelation... Let me read to you these verses from Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Three verses here. John is writing what he saw in this vision. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever That is either a glorious or a disturbing picture, depending on one's perspective. For those who love God, it's glorious. For those who hate God, it is disturbing. I saw these words the other day that are engraved on a monument. These are words from the late Madeline Murray O'Hare. Her claim to fame, in case you don't know, she was the person primarily responsible for getting prayer removed from the public school system. She was a devoted atheist. She is not anymore, I promise you. And here's what she said. An atheist believes that a hospital should be built instead of a church. An atheist believes that deed must be done instead of prayer said. 
An atheist strives for involvement in life and not escape into death. He wants disease conquered, poverty vanished, and war eliminated. Miss O'Hare says that's what an atheist wants. Now, if you read between the lines, she's saying that's what an atheist wants in contrast to what Christians want. Now, obviously, the late Miss O'Hare failed to disclose, for she certainly knew this was true, that it was the church that established hospitals to stay and treat the sick while most others in the world were fleeing sickness. In fact, most atheists and too many professing Christians fail to acknowledge or realize that the church, through the means of the gospel of Christ, has done those very things she claims that atheism aspires to do. The worship of the Lord Jesus Christ has literally changed and transformed our world throughout history. And all you have to do is read history to know this. I've said this before. I'm going to remind you again. Do you know why we have electricity here today? Because of the gospel. Yeah, Thomas Edison was the person who invented light bulbs. But do you know why Thomas Edison was able to do that? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every creature comfort you have, every convenience you have, everything you take for granted in your liberties and in your conveniences you have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Period. The gospel has literally changed the world. The world change and transformation through the gospel is so pervasive, so embedded into the very systems and structures of our culture that we take them for granted. Many completely miss the fact that they exist because of the worship of the Lamb of God and because of His gospel. These things we take for granted. The worship of the true and living God has added far more to our lives than we can ever imagine. It has added more than it could ever cost us, even though it cost us our life. When God bids us to come worship, He bids us to come and die. Do you realize that? The only way we can accurately understand this is from the perspective of the kingdom. The kingdom thinking is not the same as worldly thinking. Let me give you some examples given to us by Jesus. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy the field. Or the very next verses, again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you recognize, do you know the value of your faith, your salvation and the very ability that you have to worship God? Or as Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians 3, 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's a very polite term for what he actually says there. 
that I may gain Christ. In other words, whatever was of such value to me before, when I found Jesus, or when Jesus found me is actually more accurate, I realized that all that I had before that I put so much value in was a big pile of dung. And I happily lose it all that I may gain Christ. Galatians 2.20, the apostle writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To gain Christ is to worship Christ. The exchange of our life for his is an exchange that is not equitable, and that is an understatement. Our lives for his life is nothing but a win for us. To be crucified with Christ is to know that Christ lives in us. It is to know that we have been given his life in exchange for our death with him in the cross. This is the only reason we need to worship him. The only reason. But it's not the only reason he has given us to worship him. If you have nothing in this life except your salvation... You have every reason to worship him, but he has given us so much more. Look at all of us here. Look how rich we are. Look at how much we have. We know this is true just practically speaking. When you compare the average life or the below average life of any American compared to the vast majority of other people on this planet, we are rich beyond measure. And we do not have any of those things apart from Jesus Christ, whether we acknowledge him or not. The air we breathe, the sun that shines on us is from him. It's his common grace given to all men who come into this world. Whether they acknowledge him or not, he gives them that grace. One day they will acknowledge him, willingly or not, in this life or not. We have every reason to worship him. He has given us so much, so many reasons. This is how we can worship him. This is how we can know that he accepts us in our worship. What he has done for us in Jesus Christ. We come to his table of thanksgiving each week to worship and to celebrate his life to remember and to proclaim Christ in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's get ready to come to his table. This is a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of worship. We on purpose come to this table every week because there is no part of our Worship that is more important than coming to this table and declaring to one another and to the heavenlies that the body and the blood of Christ was given up for us on the cross. And even though he died on the cross, he lives. He has ascended and he will come again. 
and he will merge heaven and earth one day and we will rule and we will reign with him as kings and priests on this earth in glory. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our devotion. What are you devoting your life to? Devote it to him. There is nothing and no one more worthy. If you are a member of the body of Christ, I don't care what church you call yourself a member of, what local congregation you worship at on a regular basis, if you are part of his body, if you're trusting in Jesus, you come to this table now. Welcome to Jesus. Let's stand. Worship will never cost more than what God has already provided. That is true even when we can see only what it may cost us. In fact, even when worship does cost us, the bottom line is never negative. It is ever only positive. Worship is ever only profitable for those who worship God in spirit and truth. Worship pays dividends for us that are far greater than anything we may think it may cost us. Worship always requires a sacrifice, but we are called living sacrifices. There is nothing we offer to God that has not already been provided for us in His Son, even our very life. Do not forsake worship for the things of this world. Devote yourself to Him in all you are and in all you do. Worship Him in everything and in every context. He alone is worthy let your worship be seen and heard and known to all. And remember, your worship in spirit and truth is changing you, and it is changing the world. Amen?